episode 100. This is the business of architecture. If you're paralyzed by a voice in your head, it's a standing still that should be scaring you instead. Go on and do it anyway. Do it anyway. Welcome to the Business of Architecture podcast, helping architects conquer the world. And here's your host, Enoch Sears. Hello, Architect Nation. I'm Enoch Sears, and this is the show where we talk with successful architects, designers, and consultants to discuss tips, strategies, and secrets for running a profitable and an impactful architecture practice. Today's show is all about bookkeeping and accounting for architects. If you don't understand the bottom line, you won't be able to run a profitable practice, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. My guest today is Seth David, the quote-unquote Dean of Beans at schoolofbookkeeping.com and president of Nerd Enterprises Incorporated, which provides consulting and training services in accounting and productivity-based software. So he really is a guru in this space. In this episode, you'll discover the three biggest mistakes architects generally make with their bookkeeping and accounting and some of Seth's accounting tips for architects. This episode is sponsored by BQE Software, the makers of ArchiOffice. ArchiOffice is the office and project management software built for the needs of architects. And as you'll discover in this episode, standard bookkeeping software like QuickBooks and Xero can't do a lot of what we need them to do as architects. Now, ArchiOffice fills that gap. You can go check it out at archioffice.com, get started for a very, very reasonable price that's well within the amount that a small practitioner would be able to pay. Now, I also have some exciting news for you. Audible.com has agreed to be a supporter of the Business of Architecture show. Why is that great? It's great for one reason. Well, for a couple of reasons. The first reason is that when you subscribe to the Business of Architecture link, you'll be supporting Business of Architecture, and I'll be able to continue bringing you interviews and resources to help you be a more successful and profitable architect. The second reason why I think that's exciting is because if you listen to podcasts, you're also someone who would probably get a lot out of listening to Audible books. Uh, this is something that I do personally. I have a big stack of books in my room. I find it very hard to read them. So I have this bookshelf just full of books that are on my to-read list. With audible.com, it makes it very simple for me to download those on my phone. When I'm at the gym, when I'm taking a walk, I can instantly get some of the best business information out there through some of these Audible audio books. With that, I'll be bringing you a recommendation for a book that's impacted me hugely and something that I want to share with you. So in this episode, I'm going to talk about this book, which I'm reading right now, which is awesome. It's called 30 Lessons for Living, Tried and True Advice from the Wisest Americans. It's by Carl Pilmer, PhD. Now, Carl is, a, I think he's a professor or was a professor at Cornell University, and he basically went around and he took a survey of thousands of older Americans, uh, I think 80 plus and ask them about their greatest tips for living. This is something that I was uh, kind of been on my mind recently as I go through life. I want to make sure I'm doing the things now that will lead me to be content and happy when I'm in those twilight years of my life. So frankly, I'm, although this doesn't have anything to do with architecture, I bring it up because it was a powerfully impactful book, and I highly recommend you go and check it out if you're interested in personal development and living a happy and successful life, which I assume you are. So once again, that book is 30 Lessons for Living. You can pick it up free with your trial subscription to audible.com. If you go to this link, my personalized link is businessofarchitecture.com forward slash book. 
So go to businessofarchitecture.com forward slash book. You'll be able to sign up for a trial of audible.com. Part of uh, the money that you pay will actually go to support Business of Architecture, which is great. But then also you'll be able to download this book, 30 Lessons for Living. So I hope you enjoy that book. I hope you go check it out. Let me know what you think. And with that, let's jump in today. today and, with, and with that, let's jump into today's episode with Seth David. Well, Seth David, welcome to Business of Architecture. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the uh, opportunity. So you've compiled a list of three mistakes that architects typically make when they're doing their bookkeeping. And, and then we're going to talk about a few tips, best practices tips for bookkeeping. So let's jump into it and see how it goes. Let's start off with some of those mistakes. Okay, sure. Yeah, I thought about this. And, you know, based on experiences directly working with architects in the past and providing the accounting services, one of the first things that comes to mind when I think about mistakes is that we overthink the invoice. And what I mean by that is, you know, at the end of the day, the invoice serves a very specific purpose and function. It's to get paid. And we end up, I think, overthinking it and putting, therefore, too much time into worrying about all the information that we need to present. And I get it that a lot of architects at a high level want to be able to show all the contract information on the invoice. So we want to show, you know, the total contract amount and what we've billed to date and, and, and plus the current charges and what remains to be due. And in some cases, especially if we're using a product like QuickBooks, we're actually, in some respects, asking too much of QuickBooks to be able to do all that and do it automatically. Some of those fields would have to be created as custom fields, and then the numbers would manually need to be put in there. And which and one the specifically, day, Seth, which one specifically would be the, the difficult ones with QuickBooks? Of the some total of the- contract amount would be one thing that you can get... A, you can put in a, an automated data field that shows you the total outstanding for a project. But to do the total contract amount, that would have to be put in there as a manual number. And then what often we want to derive from that is what remains to be billed on that contract. So because the contract amount is a manual field, then that last number, what remains to be billed, also is a manual field. And my feeling is, one, I could attach some kind of a schedule to the invoice when I'm emailing it out. And the current versions of QuickBooks make that pretty easy to do. The other thing is I would start by simply sending the invoice based on what needs to be collected right now. Keep it simple. And then if the client comes back and says, hey, where are we at? Fine, I can send you reports. I can send you schedules. I can send that when requested and just make sure that my systems are in place so that when I am asked for it, I can provide it promptly. And so that's QuickBooks. Are there similar limitations with, say, Zero or FreshDesk or Bill Quick? Uh, so Zero and FreshBooks, there would definitely be similar limitations. FreshBooks probably would have even more limitations, frankly, along those lines. I don't know how much customization. FreshBooks lets you create some really cool-looking invoices, but I don't know how customizable they are. Um, BillQuick, by contrast, actually would provide you with all the infrastructure you need to have that. In fact, their default invoice templates do include all that information because they understand the architect and what the architect needs and wants on their invoice. So BillQuick would be an exception to this rule, actually. And how about ArchiOffice? They are a show sponsor, and so it'll be interesting to bring up, you know, how architects, you know, what ArchiOffice does a little bit more and how, how it relates to these different bookkeeping tips and mistakes. Right. Now, I'll be honest, I'm not as familiar with ArchiOffice as I am with BillQuick. 
but my understanding is that BillQuick does do more than ArchiOffice does. So there are certain things like I think POs that ArchiOffice won't do that BillQuick will. So I, I have to be honest, I'm not 100% sure. I believe ArchiOffice, being what it is, that it was designed for architects, my guess is that their, their invoice templates also have to be pretty robust in terms of being able to lay out the kind of information architects typically want. And I believe they are. All right. So you talked about overthinking the invoice. What are some typical things? Is there anything else that you find that architects generally like to include in that invoice that are just difficult to put on there using using like QuickBooks and Freshdesk and Zero? No, I mean, outside of that, it's pretty easy to customize invoices in QuickBooks so that you can set up custom fields and include information based on that. Like I would say, okay, we could put the whole contract amount in there because that's not going to change. But if you want to do any kind of a calculation on that, that's not going to work in QuickBooks. There's no way to put a calculated custom field in a QuickBooks invoice. So that's where, you know, I would say, sure, put the contract amount. And this way they can see, here's the total contract, here's what I'm being billed today. Um, you know, and you can't put, there's no data field naturally in QuickBooks that will say, here's what was billed previously on this job. You can show the outstanding AR balance on the job, but not what was billed, only what's outstanding. So that's an important distinction to be aware of when you're trying to customize an invoice and you're just using QuickBooks. Um, but in my opinion, if I just show the contract amount and show what's being billed today, the worst that happens is the client says, hey, can you show me what we've been billed to date? And then there are all kinds of reports I can run in QuickBooks that I can send to them in either PDF or Excel format, which will answer that question in, frankly, better and easier to read detail than what you could ever provide for on an invoice template. Okay, so we uh, QuickBooks will easily do, uh, you know, what has been billed to date. The difficult part is then forecasting this is the outstanding amount if we also want to show the total contract amount. Right. So, you know, again, I can put the total contract amount on the invoice and I can show what's outstanding. In other words, based on what has been billed, what hasn't been paid yet. But what's hard to do is to show what has been billed to date. So in other words, if I'm billing you a $100,000 invoice on a $500,000 contract, and let's say the billings prior to that were 200000 so that including this invoice, the total bill to date would be 300000 and let's say all the past billing has been paid, then there's no real easy way for me to say, okay, show what's been billed to date, to show that we previously billed 200000 now we're billing you another hundred. so total bill to date, including this invoice, is 300000 That's where QuickBooks falls short. Okay, and how do, how do architects generally handle that, or what have you seen? to be able to keep track of that information. Because I know, you know, that is that would be something that would be important to me to know. That's constantly what I'm thinking about. Mm -hmm. So what I did in one case was I actually, I, I would run the report that shows me everything billed to date and everything paid to date. It's a customer balance detail report. Very simple report and very standard report in QuickBooks. And then what I did was I created the custom fields where I would manually enter the total contract amount and the total amount billed to date based on that customer balance detail report. So I would just have to manually plug them in to the custom fields on the invoice. And then I would manually have to calculate, you know, what that difference is. Total bill to date, uh, you know, to figure out the remaining to be billed as the difference between that and the total contract amount. So it was very manual, which means that at invoicing time, it's just, it's a lot of extra work to do. So that's, that's where my opinion is at that point, and, and again, this is just my opinion, 
I think we're spending way too much time at that point. I would rather just get the invoice out and say, here's what I need to be paid today. And if they owe me on prior invoices, I can certainly send them a statement that shows here's all the outstanding invoices that haven't been paid and are due. And then, like I said, if they want to, I can certainly send them other reports. So it's not on an invoice, but it's in a report format that says, here's our contract amount. Here's what we've billed you to date. Here's what remains to be billed. You know, I can customize like a WIP report in QuickBooks if I need to. Okay. What's a, what's a WIP report for our listeners? Work in progress or work in process. So it's just a WIP report would show you exactly that information. Here's the contract amount. Here's what we've billed you so far. Based on there, here's what remains to be billed. Here's your outstanding accounts receivable that's owed to date. And then if we really wanted to go far, we could create kind of an, you know, QuickBooks has great job costing reports, which if you use QuickBooks properly, you can get this kind of report done very easily where it'll show you all that information. Plus it'll compare if you're over or under on your billing based on the current percentage complete that you feel you should be at on the job. So if I say I'm 50% complete, but I've billed less than 50% of the job so far, then it'll show me that I've, I've underbilled to date. So if you get into the job costing area of QuickBooks and use it properly, you can actually get very robust reports. But again, when I want to stick that information on an invoice, that's where it gets a little tricky. Sure. So the invoices are a little bit more limited. In terms of reports, though, all of that information is available in QuickBooks. Absolutely, without a doubt. And in fact, what I would say along these lines, and I tried to impress this upon this one client I was working with, but he didn't like it, was send out the invoice and send it out with the report attached. And, and put a comment on the invoice saying, please refer to the attached report for all the, you know, sort of high-level job-related information. You know, I'm sure you could come up with a more eloquent way to word that. But that was essentially what my suggestion would be. And then we got into the, you know, to further complicate matters, we got into the detailed layout of the actual body of the invoice where, you know, how do we want to show the reimbursed expenses versus time and, you know, whether or not there's a markup and if we want to show that. And all of that is where I've had a number of experiences with architects where we just seriously overcomplicated that part. And it took, in one case, it would literally take me two to three weeks to get an invoice out because of all the correspondence back and forth to get it exactly the way he wanted it to look. And I, I would find myself often shaking my head thinking, you know, we could have been paid by now. <laughs> so that's number one, overthinking the invoice. Yeah. Yeah, in other words, let's not overthink it. Let's just keep it simple. Just cut to the chase. Get to the information. Here's what's due now. And if you want more information, I can run reports and provide that to you. That's kind of my philosophy about that. Or use a product like BillQuick or ArchiOffice, which is equipped to handle all that right inside the invoice. They have the BillQuick, like I said, has gorgeous templates that give you all kinds of information. You don't even have to customize anything. It's just built that way. <laughs> Excellent. Well, let's move on so, to the second mistake. Now, the second mistake is... Uh, is just not paying attention to the numbers. And I understand, in fact, I understand from having had uh, prior interviews with you that uh, architects are designers by trade. That's what they do. Uh, they're not necessarily accountants, nor do, they, nor do they need to be, nor should they expect to have to be. But uh, they should pay attention to the numbers enough to know and enough to have a working knowledge of what they say about where the business is at. I mean, and, and just to cut right to the chase and to get to a specific example, let's say you're a, a young architect and you're not that experienced running your own firm. And based on that, you don't have a lot of experience bidding jobs and so on and so forth. So you go in, you might undersell yourself somewhere along the way, especially at the beginning. The idea then is to, to learn how to use the information that's in your accounting system to produce the reports that you need to so that when a job is complete, if not a lot sooner, you can analyze the job and say, here's what we asked 
underestimated on the job. Here's what we actually brought in in revenues. Usually that's pretty spot on in my experience. The part that gets ambiguous sometimes is on the expense side, right? So here's what we estimated to be the costs. Here's what the actual costs are. And based on that, are we over or under? Were we more or less profitable than we had hoped to be? And, if, and, and then we can make decisions on that, based on that information. So if I was less profitable, then maybe I underbid the job. Or maybe I wasn't as efficient as I could have been on the expense side. So I have to look deeper in, look at the numbers and see where were we off. And then once I can see where were we off, I can start asking myself why were we off right? Was it because I just wasn't realistic or did I underbid the job or was I inefficient in terms of how I applied my resources on the job? And those are things we want to take a good close look at so that on the next similar job, we can do a better job of bidding. Okay. Do you have much experience working with clients on helping them determine those, those numbers? Yes, absolutely. And, and at the end of the day, and if we're going to use QuickBooks as the example then what it means is we, even if we're not actually sending an estimate out of the QuickBooks software, we still want to use that form because what that does is it allows us to itemize every single aspect of the job and what we expect it to cost us as well as what we expect to charge for it right alongside that. So that becomes, that estimate becomes our budget. And I want to caution people because QuickBooks does have a separate budget feature but it doesn't work in this use case. It, it, it doesn't work at all because everything has to go through the items on the items list in QuickBooks in order for this to work. Once you set up that estimate form, that's easy to convert into a template. It's easy to convert into purchase orders to send out to your subcontractors if you need to. But then what you're going to do is you're going to record the transactions in QuickBooks in such a way that every actual cost goes through those same items and that gives QuickBooks the ability to run comparisons that say, on the estimate, here's what you said this, job, this, this item on the budget was going to cost. Here's the actual cost that we've accumulated so far through those items. And based on that comparison, we can see where we're at. Now, if we're halfway through the job and we know that it should have been half of the cost so far, we, again, we can run job costs and reports in QuickBooks that will analyze that for us. It'll say, here's what's on the estimate. Here's what you've actually booked to date. And here's the difference. So now we can make sure if we're starting to overrun our cost, because let's say we're halfway through, but we're at almost 100% of that line item, then we can hopefully make adjustments well enough in advance to make sure we don't overrun our costs. So it's those kinds of things that absolutely I've helped clients with. And it's really just a matter of knowing how to book the transactions properly, which means understanding how to use the software properly, and then knowing how to pull the right reports out of it. And again, and I'll throw this out there, you can easily use a product like BillQuick to take this concept so much further in terms of budget versus actual. BillQuick and ArchiOffice have very robust budgeting areas where you can you know, take what QuickBooks can do and multiply it by 10. Okay, excellent. And just to clarify for our listeners, so uh, ArchiOffice is actually owned by BQE Software, which also makes BillQuick. So those programs yes. are very similar. Uh, ArchiOffice is just the, uh, the architectural and engineering flavored versions of those. So let's just use ArchiOffice in our examples as we're talking because it's a little bit more relevant uh, to the to sure. audience. So the third tip comes right on the heels of the second one, which was not paying attention to the numbers. And that's not reviewing the books often enough. As professionals in our trade, whatever that may be, assuming it's not the numbers themselves like mine is, then there's a tendency to get entrenched in what you're doing and what you love to do, which is natural and normal. But what gets left by the wayside all too often is the, the, the role that you play as the owner of a business. And that role is you have to look at the numbers periodically. You've got to get a gauge on what's going on. Obviously, you have to keep on top of whether or not you're profitable, even while the job is ongoing. So it's important to have a structure around how, how often are you going to review the books. If you ask somebody like me in a perfect world, it's every month 
every month when the books are closed, you should have a process where you spend an hour or two reviewing the books. If that's not practical or realistic or just not something you're inclined to want to do, then do it quarterly. Uh, certainly you have to do it at year end because somebody's going to need those books to prepare your tax returns and hopefully you're going to be prepared to want to do more with it such as doing that year end review, doing your tax projections to make sure you can take advantage of any opportunities that you might have before the year is over to get the benefit of investing in retirement plans and those sorts of things that will help you save money on taxes. So at the very least, like it or not, you're going to be forced to do it at least once a year, but that's not nearly often enough in my opinion. It should be ideally every month, if not at least every quarter. Absolutely. I mean, I'm a big fan of doing it every, absolutely every month, no doubt about it. And I know that later on in this interview or potentially the second half of this interview, Seth, we're going to talk about exactly what people should be reviewing in terms of the numbers. So just mm -hmm. in a quick summary, so we talked about the three mistakes that you outlined that architects generally make uh, when thinking about bookkeeping. The number one was overthinking the invoice. So your advice was, hey, just keep it simple. The second one was not paying attention to the numbers. And then the third one, which is sort of related, is not reviewing the books often enough. Right. In other words, pay, pay, have a structure around how you pay attention to the numbers and how often. <laughs> Excellent. Well, let's jump on to, you've also prepared seven bookkeeping ticks for architects, and I'm not sure we're going to get through all of them in this half of the interview, but let's, let's take them from the top and start talking about it. So what's, what's, the first, what's our first tip? So the first tip is, and again, I'm assuming most people use QuickBooks, which is why I'm picking on QuickBooks as the software, but I want to qualify that by making it clear there's other options out there if you choose. But uh, when it comes to using QuickBooks, the question comes up about how do I describe the phases? Right, We have the seven phases, and I even forget all the time exactly what they are, but uh, I know I've had to outline them, and the question comes up, there's essentially three places in QuickBooks where they can be described. One is in your item list, and the problem that I've encountered with that is if I do it in my item list, I've got to repeat each item within each phase, so it ends up with a long, clunky item list, and it also makes the invoicing a little hard because the items drive the structure of the invoice. So this is why it's important to kind of be able to visualize the bigger picture of how this is all going to look. The second way is in the customer job structure. So in QuickBooks, I can have customers, and within each customer, I can have a job. And, and then within the job, I could have the different phases. The problem with that is I can then only include one specific phase on one specific invoice. If you know that your business model is such that that's not going to be a problem, then that could work really well. But as soon as you have a situation where you want to invoice different phases on the same invoice, just because you're maybe at the point where you're overlapping from one phase into the next, that's not going to be possible. You would wind up having to break that up into two separate invoices, and that might annoy your clients. When you're sending them out two invoices, they might want you to consolidate them. So that's not the best way to do it. In my opinion, the best way to do it, for all the reasons I've just explained, is to use the class list in QuickBooks. If you use the classes, those classes can be configured to appear. They don't have to be configured. You just have to create the classes, and they'll be there, available to choose in a dropdown on any expense transaction and on any invoice. Every and you can distinguish by li line by line on that invoice, you know what class. So that's where you solve that problem of being able to invoice on a single invoice all the different classes, or for that matter, all the different phases. Then that you might want to be able to describe on a single invoice. Now, then when we look at a product like ArchiOffice, you can do joint invoices where you can essentially describe the different phases very specifically and then you can you know, basically just check off or number things the same way so that you can combine them on a single invoice. 
So again, when you use the, uh, the other options that are out there that work with QuickBooks, you can often do a lot more. It's, it's just more robust when you do it that way. So that's the first uh, bookkeeping tip for architects is use the classes to describe the phases. I really think after playing around with the different ways, that really, in my opinion, ends up being the best way to do it. Okay. What would, uh, what would a similar thing be for Xero or for Freshdesk for people? Or I mean, I'm sorry, Fresh, fresh Books. So for Xero, you would use tracking codes, no question. Xero has, a, a, you can create two different tracking codes lists. So you would use one of those lists for the phases. And that, uh, similar to classes in QuickBooks, gives you a dropdown in every single transaction, line by line, where you can describe the phase using the tracking code. And the nice thing about that is that you can actually, you know, name the tracking code phase so that, you know, in QuickBooks, it's still going to say class, right? So you can be sort of more specific and contextual about how the forms look when you're working in Xero. And for that matter, when you send an invoice out to a client, you'll be able to, you know, describe it and actually call it what it is, which is the phase. So that's kind of a nice uh, benefit to doing it that way. But so Xero would definitely be tracking codes. FreshBooks, I'll be honest, I'm not sure. FreshBooks, FreshBooks in my experience, is they do have the infrastructure for describing expenses, but it's still pretty limited in my experience. So FreshBooks is still something that I honestly view as something you would use just to get your invoicing done. Um, it was only in the last couple of years that they even had a balance sheet available in FreshBooks. I think they added that about two or three years ago. So it's still, to me, not robust enough to handle the kind of business model that, that architects are concerned with, frankly. Uh, they're very simple. Like I have clients who are in the IT business where they have a very simple business. I'm just going to invoice for my time, and I just need to re get reimbursed for expenses and track some of those expenses. So for them, a product like FreshBooks is perfect. But for an architect, I honestly wouldn't recommend it. Excellent. And um, just in terms of uh, options out there, since we we're talking about some of the other software options, so ArchiOffice, of course, does offer everything we're talking about in terms of pricing, invoicing, uh, billing, and the pricing is also very reasonable at about $20 a month per user for the cloud plan. So, Yeah, so you have, yeah, if, you're, if you want to go cloud-based, and that's something we're going to talk about either later on or in part two, is you, you really want to consider moving to the cloud, so you want to look at the cloud-based options. And the biggest sort of players in that space are, of course, Xero and QuickBooks Online. Yep. And both can handle this kind of stuff. QuickBooks Online has classes just like it does. And QuickBooks Online also has locations, which works like classes. But if you need to run a balance sheet by class, the balance sheet by location is actually even better than a balance sheet by class. Uh, most of the time, we're only concerned with looking at the profit and loss by class. But in case that's a concern, just know that that's there. So Xero and QBO, or QuickBooks Online, are the two kind of cloud players that you want to concern yourself with if you're an architect who's looking to you know, handle your accounting in the cloud. And then, of course, you're going to probably be looking at some add-on software that's going to help you, you know, fill in some of the blanks. Great. And out of those two, do you have a personal recommendation that you found to be more easy to use or better suited for architects? I'll be honest. I like them both. Mm -hmm. And I'm not even saying that to be political because I know I, my friends from both companies, you know, might, might stumble on this. But I, it, it really is my honest opinion that I like both products. Both products are really good. They handle different things different ways. So when it comes to the client walking in my door asking me which one should I use, QuickBooks Online or Xero, usually what I tell them is let's, let me show you a demonstration of both 
And that way you can decide which one you like better. Because that's often what it's going to come down to is, especially if the client is going to be involved in the bookkeeping process, then I want them to be comfortable with the software they're using. Some of them are going to like zero better, whatever the reasons might be, doesn't really matter to me. My only concern is the account at the end of the day is that I can get a balance sheet, P&L, and all the other reports that we're going to talk about in a minute that will help me analyze what's going on with the company. And either of those products will do that just fine. It's really just a matter then of client preference and where they're more comfortable. All right, that is the end of episode 100 with Seth David about bookkeeping for architects. I'd like to invite you at this time to go over to iTunes, search for Business of Architecture in the iTunes store, and leave a five-star review for this show. Now, there are two reasons to do this. First of all, it encourages me to continue making free content for you. And number two, it allows others to find this content inside of iTunes so that they can benefit as well. Now, since you stuck it out and listened all the way to the end of this episode, I do have a question for you. I've been thinking about changing the intro music to Business of Architecture. Uh, you know, I, I kind of am thinking I want to go with a shorter little stinger. They call that a stinger at the beginning or an intro. And I'm just thinking, you know, I have about, I don't know, it's five or six seconds there with uh, Peter Baker, the, the British accent. I just love his voice, so I don't think I'll be cutting that out. But uh, just the... The Ben Folds 5 song, it does go on for a little long. So anyways, drop me a note on the show page for this. So if you go to businessofarchitecture.com, this is episode 100. Scroll down to the bottom, leave a comment. What's your vote? Should I go away from the longer sort of musical snippet and just go to something very short, change it all together? You know, what are your thoughts? Are you Would you just stop listening and just be totally brokenhearted if I did that? Let me know because this is truly your show and I'm making it for you. So please head on over there and let me know. Now, the second thing that I wanted to tell you, I just had to share this with you. It was funny. Uh, I don't know if you have kids or not, but you know, maybe someday you will. If you do, uh, you, or you probably have little brothers or sisters, or you remember from when you were a kid, you know, kids say the darndest things. So today, my little kid Jude was, uh, you know, he was watching my wife. She was measuring herself because she was going to get some more clothes. And so he said, hey, mom, what are you doing? Are you uh, measuring how fat you are? <laughs> Okay, the the things kids say. Anyways, things continue to be well here at the Sears House. I hope things are good for you and look forward to seeing you next week on The Business of Architecture. And that's a wrap for another show about The Business of Architecture. To get more resources about how you, as an architect, can run a rewarding business that is both fun, flexible, and profitable, visit businessofarchitecture.com and click the Join button to claim your free account to Business of Architecture Insider. As a member, you'll have access to free tools and resources to help you get more clients, start a new firm, and much more. You'll also get access to my book, Social Media for Architects, where you'll learn how to use internet tools for fun and for profit. Until next week, this has been The Business of Architecture. views expressed on the show by my guests do not represent those of the host and I make no representation, promise, guarantee, pledge, warranty, contract, bond, or commitment except to help you conquer the world. Bump music credit to Ben Folds 5, do it anyway.